welcome. My name is Alessandra Carden, and you're listening to The Alessandra Carden Show. On this podcast, we explore nutrition, holistic health, personal development, and more. It's my mission to give you the information, inspiration, tips, and tools that you need to optimize your energy, health, and happiness. I'm here to help you thrive. I am so excited to share this eye-opening conversation with you today. Megan DeYoung is a holistic nutritionist who's passionate about empowering others to nourish their bodies with real food and become more connected with the earth. She's an advocate of eating locally and growing your own food, and on the podcast, she shares about how getting connected with your food sources is one of the best things you can do for your health and the planet. In this episode, you'll hear about how Meg became a holistic nutritionist and why she began growing her own food. You'll discover the fascinating link between soil quality and both gut health and mental health, and you'll learn some practical tips for making empowered purchase decisions at your local grocery store and farmer's market. In addition to learning how to purchase the most nourishing foods, you'll also learn about how and why to grow your own food. Meg shares some amazing tips for how to start growing food, even if you have limited time or space. In this episode, she shares everything from which kind of plants are easiest to grow, to how to keep pests away, to what kind of soil to use. We chat about holistic nutrition and which fermented foods can further support your microbiome health as well. This conversation is so inspiring. I'm sure you'll want to start a garden after listening. I already bought some kale and collard seeds, and I'm so excited to plant them. Here it is, my conversation with Meg. Megan, I'm so grateful to be having this conversation with you today. Um, It's perfect timing too because it's spring and we're going to be talking about how to grow your own food. But yeah, before we get into all that, I just want to say thank you so much for chatting with me today. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, And so before we get into everything about growing your own food, which I'm so excited to talk about, I wanted to hear a bit of your background on how you started, uh, like how you became a holistic nutritionist, what inspired you to study holistic nutrition? Yeah, great question. Um, So to be honest, I've been such a foodie from such a young age. Like I remember growing up, like everyone would be eating hamburgers and hot dogs. And like, I would tell my mom like, oh, like, can you make me like tortellini with olives and veggies? And like, I just like always was so into like, like just, you know, I mean, now may not be the healthiest thing that I would eat now, but like just back in the day, I always had an interest for just eating really, really good food. Um, But then actually all throughout high school, um, I struggled with a really bad eating disorder. And like, it was just like, I think a lot of anxiety and pressure and just kind of not really feeling like I fit in and didn't, didn't really know how to to manage my feelings. And so, yeah, I, I was really struggling with this, with this eating disorder. And um, I tried a whole bunch of different things. I actually ended up being prescribed anti-anxiety medication, like when I was 15 years old, just to like really help me kind of process everything. Um, 
And then once I got to university, I realized, wow, like I really don't want to be on an anti-anxiety medication my whole life. I really want to get down to the root of why I struggled with this eating disorder to begin with and and certain things like that. And um, yeah, I definitely became a like super healthy weight and like and started to to regain my interest in, in food and stuff. But I realized like I actually have no idea how to like truly nourish my body. Like I know how many calories maybe I need to like be a healthy weight, but like I had no idea like what it actually truly meant to like be connected to my food. Um, so after I went to UBC um, and I studied kinesiology and then after that, I was like, okay, I'm ready to, I'm not quite ready to get into the work field yet. And I wanted to keep studying. So I came across Canadian School of Natural Nutrition. And that's where I went and got a degree in nutrition just because I was like so interested. And I, at first I was kind of just doing it for my own benefit of like, okay, I really want to learn how to be healthy and, and really eat balanced meals and just like really for once and for all be at peace with my relationship with food. And then I absolutely fell in love with it. And like everyone around me, my parents, my family, like they were just like, Megan, like you need to continue on and like do this for your work. Just the way I talked about it, like I was just so lit up. And uh, yeah, since then, I, I haven't really looked back. That's awesome. Yeah, what an in- incredible journey. So you felt like you were kind of doing it for yourself at first, right? Sort of healing yourself. And then once you experience these amazing benefits, it's like you're just so passionate to share it with people around you. Exactly. Yeah, it was it was so like that. And and I I love what I got to do now. So it's it's been a real, real blessing. Yeah, that's amazing. And so when did the whole thing about growing your food come in to play? Like, did you talk about that at school when you were studying nutrition? Or what sparked your interest in that? Yeah, great question. So I it was definitely when I was in nutrition school and um, we had a, a unit on something called eco nutrition is what they called it. And I remember for the first few times like studying this, I felt super down and out about learning about kind of like our global food system and like just the disconnection that a lot of us are, um, even when we think we're eating these like super healthy foods, you, you kind of learn like, okay, the earthbound organic kale or romaine that I'm buying has actually been like dipped in chlorine and then shipped across North America to get to my plate. And it's like, is that really that healthy, you know, and, and, and different things like that. So it, it definitely was in nutrition school where I was super sparked to be like, okay, like, this is crazy. I need to like do my part in this. And, and, um, after a little bit of soul searching, I realized like, okay, yeah, I think I, I want to start growing my own food. And I had, I was living in Vancouver in Kitsilano at the time. And I had like a little, um, I, I bought a little patio planter and I planted with my roommate some like collard greens and some kale and like, it was fun, but I never really thought that much of it. Um, but then once I graduated nutrition school, I, I kind of just wanted to get away from the city for a little bit. So I went to work. Um, I did something called like woofing. I don't know if you've heard of it. It means like a worker on an organic farm. So I, I woofed on Salt Spring, which is actually where I live now, which is a little Gulf Island off the coast of Victoria. And I think it was there that I really fell in love with just like the farm life and like farm to table eating. And um, I learned so, so much. And yeah, the rest has been kind of history. I've been able to, um, it was funny because simultaneously at the same time that I super got got super interested in growing food. My parents bought a farm. And so then I've been able to go back to Ontario every summer and help them plant their gardens. And yeah, now I I have a huge garden here on Salt Spring with my boyfriend and we grow tons of our own food. So it's like everything was just really aligned and and, uh, I love it so much. 
Yeah, that's that's incredible. Honestly, it's so true about how disconnected we are to our food sources. Even like I was interested in nutrition for years and then I remember just learning more and realizing how like I researched all this stuff about nutrition, but I still was actually disconnected from my food sources. Like I didn't even know what a mango tree looked like and I'd buy mangoes all the time, you know what I mean? Um and just how things can actually not be as healthy as you think they are because like you said about like kale being dipped in chlorine and losing nutrients as it's shipped all the way across the planet. Um are there certain things that we should be really aware of when considering where we're buying our food from? Yeah, great question. I mean, I definitely always recommend like the closer the better just because then then yeah, less distance has traveled, net less nutrients have been lost. However, I think it's it's more just again like doing a bit of research into like the companies that you're buying food from. So like if it is an avocado, I mean obviously I don't know if, if you've heard, but like the avocado trade in Mexico is is quite crazy right now just because it's become such a cash crop for them that there's been like a lot of controversy with different like cartels going and it's it's kind of become the new drug trade is the avocado trade and so just like kind of really educating ourselves on like okay well what companies if we are going to buy avocados what companies are actually supporting their farmers and keeping their farmers safe and um like you know what I, what i mean and like what companies are practicing really good farming practices that are organic and, and aren't spraying tons of pesticides and different things like that. So I'd say, yeah, to kind of recap the the closer that we can, like, I mean, obviously, if we can support our local farmers, that's awesome. But then secondly, just doing research into the, the types of food and also the companies that we're buying them from. Do you know any good resources that maybe list companies that are okayed or that are more sustainable than others? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't actually know of a ton. I've done a lot of like self-research. So I would say if anyone has questions, they they could definitely like reach out to me because I know a ton of, of different brands that I choose to support and things like that. But yeah, that's a, you know, I'm, I would love to know if there was something more specific out there based on certain companies, but I don't think I do. Mm, that'd be cool. I think that some we should start we should create that app. That'd be so cool if there was an app or something where you could like scan a, a produce uh sticker or something and find out about the company. But yeah, in terms of buying local, are there certain questions we should ask our local farmers? Maybe if you go to the farmers market? Yeah. So I mean, I think most people know that the two biggest categories of our food the way they're classified would be conventional and organic. So conventional being it's most often sprayed with chemical-based insecticides, herbicides, pesticides, synthetic fertilizers are used. And then like the meat would contain antibiotics most often in conventional foods. And then on the other hand, we have organic, which is kind of just the opposite. So no synthetic chemicals are used, um, like only natural fertilizers are used, that sort of thing. But like, sadly, those still aren't even they don't really give us a clear picture of how our food's growing. So it's definitely the the step above is to go to farmers markets and be able to talk to our farmer. And there's a, a new movement going on. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called regenerative agriculture. Uh no, I haven't heard of that. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's it's something I'm super passionate about. And like, yeah, there's tons of amazing um 
people who are kind of like pioneering this movement. There's an awesome organization in California called Kiss the Ground, and they do tons of work supporting regenerative agriculture. And essentially, it's just a step above organic that that talks like, okay, not only are we just going to, you know, not spray these chemicals, we're going to go this step further and really ensure that the ecosystem of what we're growing is super healthy, that we're actually building healthy soil. We're not tilling and we're not using all of these, like, you know, sometimes like organic, there's certain loopholes that that can still be done. Um, so yeah, regenerative agriculture is a step above. So I'd say to answer your question, the best thing you could ask a farmer is like, what, what kind of farming practices are you? And sometimes at local farmers markets, a small scale farmer can't really even pay for the organic certification. But if you hear that they're practicing something called regenerative agriculture, or they're like, you know, they're not using any synthetic sprays on their crops and they're, you're, they're mulching and cover cropping and doing all of these things, um, that really support soil health, then you know, like you're in great shape. And I actually have, it's cool that we're talking today because today I, release a program called Next Level Nourished, which is an online database I create. And in it, I talk all about, it's like um, I do videos and eBooks through Teachable and people can really like dive into all these topics, um, especially about regenerative agriculture. And I have like a whole list of like, okay, bring this sheet to the farmer's market and then you can ask your farmer these questions. And then there's the answers there that you're, you should be looking for. So that's a super good resource too. Oh, that's amazing. That's such a good resource. That's so handy. I actually uh, just saw that you posted on Instagram today that today's your launch day. So I was going to say congratulations. That's so exciting. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been super fun to work on. And like, um, I think I yeah, I'm really excited for people because these are the topics that I don't think a lot of us in the health and nutrition world are talking about. And yeah, I'm sure we'll get into it throughout the podcast, but just how intrinsically linked all of the way our food is growing to, to some of the more mainstream things like gut health and mental health. And it really does all go back to the way our food is growing. So that's super cool. Yeah, it makes sense. I feel like it's something not, like you said, not a lot of people are talking about and people just don't think about that often. It's like, you'll you'll know okay I should eat kale it's good for me but like where does this kale come from how is it grown what's the soil quality like and yeah so how exactly does the soil quality affect our health and affect the nutrients in the foods that we eat yeah so I mean soil is essentially what gives our plants our vegetables the nutrients that we then go on to eat so soil health is definitely everything And especially because there is such a talk right now about gut health. So many of us are really cluing into the idea that our gut health really does dictate so much of the rest of our health. And people say like, oh, your gut is your second brain. And newer research is actually saying, no, the gut is like your first brain because you have so many different neurotransmitters and things like that that are kind of dictating what goes on in the rest of your body. And so... To break it down, like soil, first of all, contains tons of healthy bacteria that can then go on to feed our gut and our microbiomes. That's why going back to the whole idea of organic or conventional or regeneratively growing, if we're constantly spraying things like pesticides and insecticides that were designed to kill these pests that are in our soil, but they then go on to kill all this healthy bacteria, 
our soil is left void of all these nutrients that our body needs. And like we as humans actually have more bacterial cells than we do human. Believe it or not, the bacteria actually run the show. And so that's one of the main reasons that soil health is so intrinsically linked to gut health because of all the healthy bacteria that it contains. Um, and then secondly, our soil contains all of our micronutrients. So things like our minerals and our vitamins and our magnesium and all of that stuff is actually found in the soil. So it's super important to be eating food that not only isn't growing with chemicals, but is also growing in the healthiest soil imaginable. And how can you find out what the quality of the soil is from the farms where you purchase your food from? Or even not even from farms, say you go to the grocery store, it's like how... How can I even know how this kale was grown? What the soil quality is like? Like, do farms have to publish that information? Sadly, no. I don't know of very many farms who are actually publishing that kind of information. And so that's where, like, we as the consumers, um, especially during this time where where change is, is like, kind of at the precipice. We're at the precipice of so much change, I think, especially even everything that's going on in the world right now with COVID and people are staying home and we're actually like realizing like, wow, we need to get connected more to our food system. And and especially as consumers, we have a voice now more than ever to to kind of ask those questions and and dig a little deeper. So I I would say when you are at the grocery store, I definitely still always opt for organic. I think that's kind of like the the bare minimum and and I know it is always a little bit more money. But I think in the long run, you're doing your body so, so much favors by just it's an, an investment for sure. But then I think the next biggest thing is, first of all, like reading the label, like, where is it from? So again, like going, going back to eating closer. And then when you are at a farmer's market, that's a little easier, because then you can ask your farmer those questions about like, okay, so like, what do you use for your like pest management practices? Like if you're not spraying, like, how are you ensuring your your soil quality is healthy? And the farmer, like, you'll know instantly if they're, you know, telling you the truth, and, and they're kind of explaining what they do, then I think that gives you the biggest picture. But obviously, if you can't get to a farmer's market, trying your best to, to, at least, yeah, do a bit of research on the companies that you are buying from or even sending them an email or whatever it looks like, you know, just that that extra step to to try your best to get connected and get a more clear picture. Yeah. And so I guess the best way to ensure soil quality would be to grow your own food. So, so like, where, where do you start? Like, how how do you suggest starting a garden, starting to grow your own food? So... I mean, I think it can sound super overwhelming for a lot of people. Um, I think I got bit by the bug. Um, my grandpa was a farmer or he is a farmer still. And so like, I think I had it in my blood, but I always tell people it's like, we really are all so connected to nature. And like, even if it sounds so, so far fetched, like so many people are like, I have a black thumb, like I kill everything I look at, like, I can't even keep like a succulent alive. I'm just like, no, 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 no. don't worry. Like it doesn't actually have to it doesn't have to be this huge undertaking. And like, I started super small, like I was set at the beginning where I just had like a tiny little patio planter box. And like, that was super cool. And like, I saved myself my $4 every couple of days on my organic bunches of kale. So that's awesome. Um, so I'd say the best place to start, even if you're in an apartment or whatever it is, is just buy a planter box and buy some soil from the garden center, some nice organic soil that's got 
they call it triple mix. So it has like compost and all the nutrients already in it. You just like one bag, throw it in your pot. And then kale is always my go-to. And I love to tell people to plant kale because it's such a versatile plant. You can literally like grow it in the partial sun. You can grow it in like shade. Um, It does need a little bit of sun, but you can also grow it in sunny weather. And it's just such a hardy, hardy plant and it gives you continual harvest. So unlike something like a squash plant where like once you harvest your squash, then you can't continually harvest, you know, whereas kale, it just like keeps coming back um, and it, it grows for a very long time. So I'd say, yeah, to to start out, just take that first step of going to the garden center, buying that pot, buying the soil and then putting a kale in the ground. And actually in my program, I have a full on like 20 minute video going over all the basics where I literally like step by step show people how to plant a seed or a starter plant. And I think people are realizing like, oh yeah, it doesn't have to be this huge undertaking. And even just that small step is, is so revolutionary for our food system and for our health. It's super cool. Oh, that's so helpful that you have it all laid out. I was just going to ask, are you supposed to plant like a little starter plant or a seed? I think that I like I was interested in growing food. And then I was like, I don't know how to plant seeds. Like, do you have to germinate them or something? (laughs) So yeah, do you think it's easier to, to grow seeds? Or should we be getting like plants from a plant center? Yeah, so I actually personally prefer to plant seeds um but I think that's because like I have a huge garden and it's super easy but honestly seeds are so fun because there's this mysterious element where you're just like putting this tiny little thing in the ground and all of a sudden it's just gonna like germinate and pop up and be this little sprout and then eventually it will become this beautiful plant and what I actually find is if I plant seeds within about four to six weeks, they will catch up to the size of the starter plant because they haven't had to been transplanted and, and all that stuff. So it's actually super cool. However, that being said, I know some people it's like, you know what, seeds are way too small. That's so far fetched. I can't do it. And starter plants <laughs> are an amazing option. Like it's so cool that you can literally go to the garden center and like buy a kale that's already sprouted and you can just put it in the in the ground. And yeah, like I said, in my video, I'm so thorough. I like literally show people um, what a lot of people don't know is like when you're planting a starter plant, sometimes you can like, like once you take it out of its container, there's tons of roots and they're kind of all wrapped around each other. And it's super important to break these roots apart. So it's not root bound. So when you put it in the ground, like all the roots don't just stay together. Um, If you kind of break them apart really lightly, then they can cling to the their new soil that they're in. So yeah, I explain it all super detailed. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's so helpful. Um, and then, oh, do you talk about how to keep pests away too? Because I was telling you before this conversation, actually, I did try to go grow kale one year and then a caterpillar started eating it. <laughs> so yeah, just wondering, like, how can you avoid pests in your own garden? Yeah, that's such a good question. It's something I face almost daily um, because obviously when you're putting something beautiful and living in the ground, there's so many other (laughs) living things that want to join in on the fun. Um, But I love your question about caterpillars. So uh, most often I'd say if anyone is having issues with pests in their garden, it's first of all, finding out what it is. Um, That will help you know what your best options are. But caterpillars are super cool because you can actually plant other 
herbs and things like peppermint, lavender, and sage. They're really awesome, like kind of potent plants and that caterpillars won't actually then come near your kale because they don't like the smell. And then it's amazing for your kale to have that companion plant. And then there's so many other, like there's, you know, you're going to come across a million different pests. We had a really bad issue with slugs last year in our garden and they would literally just like eat huge chunks out of our leaves. And then I found out that if you take eggshells or we used, um, we, we had a bunch of hazelnuts that we deshelled, and then we put the hazelnut shells around the base of our plant so the slugs actually couldn't slide through to get up our kale. Um, so it was like just simply a physical barrier that then made our kale grow so much better because it wasn't constantly getting eaten by slugs. Um, and there's, yeah, there's, like I said, there's so many other things you can do. I've also done before, which isn't the most glamorous thing, but if you have like something called like flea beetles or really small insects, sometimes it's actually helpful just to net your kale or any plants you're growing just for like a limited time while while they're really bad but other like yeah online or um, using like my program as a guide I can break down so like when you have this pest you can do this this pest do that because it is pretty specific depending on what you're facing but I'd say also the larger your garden is the less chance you'll have of getting pests if you have a bunch of different types of crops and it's like kind of more of a thriving ecosystem versus just planting like one single crop all the way through then then the pests love that but if there's variety then they can kind of repel each other and it's super helpful that way too wow that's so cool there's so many natural ways to keep away different pests it's just so cool you actually don't need to use those chemical pesticides or anything right yeah, it's pretty amazing, eh? Yeah. And then also, I did want to learn more about the whole ecosystem type of garden. Um, like two years ago, I stayed in this tiny home in Topanga, California. I was just traveling. It was so amazing. And the owner of the house had a garden. And it was the first time I heard about this. She was telling me how you shouldn't plant all of your plants in rows and you should really like mix the plants together so it creates that more natural type of ecosystem um so yeah I don't know too much about it I just it was my first time hearing about it and I I wanted to learn more yeah yeah it's a super cool kind of like method of of farming that that takes us back a little to nature and just being like if you look in the forest you know like trees and different shrubs are all interspersed together. And that's truly, I think, how nature thrives is like, not only what we can see on the surface, but all below the the ground, the roots and stuff, they all really like, there's amazing root networks of bacteria and different things, and they all thrive off of each other by having diversity. And sadly, in our in our farming, again, today, like so many of our conventional farms, there's something called monocrop, which just essentially means there's one crop that takes over the entire field. And that's often why pesticides are used, because they're not this like natural thriving ecosystem. So yeah, that idea of instead of planting rows of all the same things, can you let nature kind of set nature up for success and like we actually like last year I did one I still do do some things in rows like beets and carrots and and things like that but I had one that was like a completely wild bed and like we put in like collard greens and cabbage and kale and butter lettuce and we just like shook the seeds up in our hand and then sprinkled them over this bed and then put a little bit of soil on top and it was so cool it was like kind of messy to look at like it almost stressed me out but I was like wow this is like actually what nature is about and yeah then you know certain like we call them weeds, but oftentimes like weeds appear in your soil 
based on what's needed for your soil. And like the great example of this is a dandelion. Everyone thinks dandelions are weeds, but actually there are these amazing plants that can help break up your soil and like help it drain better. And so like all gardeners should definitely welcome dandelions and different sorts of weeds into their garden because they are, they do have a function in the ecosystem. Oh, wow. That's so cool. That must have been so fun just to see everything grow together. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. And then in terms of time, like how how much time do people have to invest in starting a garden? Like if you're a quote unquote busy person, you know, and like living in the city too, like, is this something you think everyone could do? Um, I definitely do. Uh, I think it's, it's so within our reach. I mean, we as humans are amazing. And like, we have the capacity to do so much. And I think it's, it's kind of funny that we, we doubt ourselves so much for the very thing that can, you know, keeps us alive and, and living and nourished. We're like, no, we can't do that, even though we have all this ability to do so much else, like with technology and everything else. So it's like, it's almost just taking that step back and going back to the basics. And like, empowering ourselves to know like this is what our ancestors did for you know thousands of years before us and like I mean they were living even more directly off the land and just foraging and things but I definitely do think yeah if you have the the resources to to buy that pod on if you're in an apartment and some soil and some seeds or starter plants it's like I have full faith in you I'd say like a little bit of research I I think goes a long way too. like buy yourself a gardening book or yeah, join my program or whatever it looks like. And um, I think, I think anyone can do it. Um, I'd say it is a bit of an investment, both time and money, but it's so I think it's so worth it in the long run. And especially if you are just having a garden in your apartment or something like that. I think you dedicate a few hours like in the spring to to get it set up. And then you kind of watch out, you know, water it every few days, watch out for pests, it really can just kind of become a part of your natural flow and your natural cycle. And it, it doesn't actually have to take you don't have to take like, you know, hours and hours every single day It can be super, super simple. Right. It's just about getting into that habit and about learning something new. I yeah, I feel like it may seem kind of intimidating, but once you just learn a bit, like you said, just spend a little time doing some research, then it can totally become part of your flow. And yeah. also, I have been hearing that a lot of cities have uh, like community garden plots. I know here in Toronto, you can get a, a plot in I don't know different parks in the city so I guess if space is an issue for you too like say you have just a really small balcony or something um, I think that's a good way to to get involved and then I guess you'd be more involved in the community too yeah I love that you said that because it's so true like I, I love that they are called community gardens and there's some really cool ones too here here in, in BC Vancouver um all that stuff and, and you see people like out there like in their garden having a drink with each other like you know all the gardeners kind of you know um celebrating together and it's a really really cool uh kind of community feel for sure and yeah I think I think a great option for for people who are able to make the investment I know they they may, might cost a little bit of money but they're so so fun and and I think they can be an awesome awesome tool to like really get growing your own food I think it's a great option. Oh, yeah. And such a great way to learn, too, because if you're new at it and you join a community garden, I assume you naturally just learn a lot about gardening. And then, oh, it's cool, too, because you could 
have meals together, right? With the food that you grow. I think that's Definitely, so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Share, share your harvest and all that. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> and then you mentioned that gardening, growing your own food helps with mental health. Is it just like the act of being more connected to your food? And then also like the gut health, mental health link as well. Could you speak a bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. So I would say, yeah, the mental health part is definitely two-tiered. First of all, I think just being in nature, you know how they say like when you're in the forest, the negative ions really neutralize you and you just like feel feel amazing in, in that sense. So just like being in nature, I think is so, so important. And and yeah, like getting your hands dirty in the soil, it, it's amazingly remarkable what it can do for your brain. But more specifically, if we're actually getting our hands dirty in this super bacteria rich healthy soil and we're not using gloves that's a big one which I know is sometimes a a bit of a like people have to overcome that barrier a little bit because it's like oh I don't want to get my hands dirty and my nails like dirt under my nails but if you can actually touch the soil with your bare hands you're getting all that benefit of the healthy bacteria and within our gut where a lot of our bacteria resides 90% of serotonin, which is our feel good hormone is actually produced in our gut. And yeah, big kind of link between depression and anxiety and certain other mental health conditions is a deficiency in serotonin. So if we're touching this healthy bacteria that then goes on to feed our microbiomes and then goes on to help produce serotonin, we're going to scientifically just feel better, you know, because of that. So that's like the two key components towards mental health. Um, And then in terms of gut health, uh, yeah, it definitely goes back again to the healthy bacteria. So when we're growing our own food and we're exposed to this healthy bacteria, it helps to then go on again to feed our microbiomes and really, really just kind of nourishes, like gives us all that bacteria we need. And new and new research is coming out saying like pretty much any illness and disease out there can be linked back to a certain deficiency or dysbiosis because of certain bacteria. So like it's actually gone on so specific being like, if this person is missing this healthy strain of bacteria, they are more likely to get breast cancer. This person, like this bacteria is more linked to to prostate cancer. So that's why like diversity within our microbiome is so, so important because it's just essentially linked to like so many different types of illnesses and, and things like that. And, you know, like within a handful of of healthy soil. There's like billions and billions of healthy bacteria. Um, and so if we can constantly expose ourselves to that, we are just setting ourselves up for success in so many ways. And so how exactly does the bacteria sort of get into our systems? Like, does it have to be on the foods that we grow and then eat? Like, do we have to ingest it? A little bit of both. So uh, obviously, it's super amazing when we're when we're eating the food that's grown in healthy, uh, rich, rich bacteria, rich soil. But then there's also the element that I mentioned, like if we're touching it without gloves, um, just through touching it with our hands, uh, we are actually exposed to it, and then breathing it in, which is super cool because, like, that's why also like there's new research. Um, an amazing uh, doctor in the States. His name's Dr. Zach Bush. I don't know if you know of him, but I I am a huge fan of his because he talks so, so much about this. And I've learned so much from him. And he talks so much about one of the best ways to um, improve our our microbiomes is through exposing ourselves to different ecosystems and really just through breathing it in, going into that different forest, taking deep breaths and actually like touching the bark of the trees and, you know, the leaves and, and just 
like not being so sterile, I think, you know, where I mean, obviously, it's a hard time, because we're all sanitizing so much because of what's going on. But but just like knowing that that in nature, there is so much goodness just through breathing it in touching it. And then also when we can actually eat food that that is growing in this healthy soil rich bacteria, it's like the triple whammy, you're getting all the good stuff. Mm, Okay, yeah, because I just wanted to clarify that because I was a bit confused, like if you grow the food, and then if you wash it, and you wash it too well, will you not be getting that good bacteria? Definitely. Yeah, like I would say it's it's always good to rinse it off, um, especially like like carrots or something where they're like growing in the dirt, and they're gonna have tons of dirt on them. I always give mine a good rinse. But I never use like any kind of like soaps or apple cider vinegar or anything like that. Um, and then like my kale, when I'm getting it straight from my garden, I don't wash it at all unless I see like a bug on it or something. But yeah, I think I think our food still does retain some some of the healthy bacteria and stuff like that just through its composition because like it's growing in that soil and that's what's kind of helping produce it um but i'd say yeah the less we can wash the better okay and what's your perspective on probiotic supplements like do they work are they necessary yeah i'm so glad you asked that so when i was in nutrition school i definitely we we learned a lot about probiotics and you can tell it's kind of this I don't want to say controversial, but like there are people who are huge fans and think everyone should be on a probiotic every single day. Um, However, I personally am on the opposite school of thought. And I think that, um, and this is what Zach Bush, the the doctor that I was talking about, uh, some of the research that he's done has found that a probiotic supplement, sure, it does contain healthy bacteria. Um, and you can see on your probiotic bottle, it, it could say like 20 billion CFUs, which just means colony forming units. Um, however, it doesn't mean that you're getting 20 billion different species of bacteria. You're getting usually like five to seven species copied that like 20 billion times, you know? So it's like you're getting this single dose of healthy bacteria, but it's not the diversity that that our bodies need. So actually over time, it can limit the scope of our healthy bacteria because we're just constantly taking a capsule that contains, you know, this like five to seven strains copied so many times. Um, so for me personally, instead of taking a probiotic supplement, I'm all about naturally fermented food. So things like sauerkraut, um, naturally fermented pickles, kimchi, tempeh, which actually is, is fermented, you know, through through natural bacteria. And it does contain a way wider, diverse species of bacteria than a probiotic supplement would. Um, sometimes if people have been on a dose of antibiotics, I would definitely say taking them for the first like five or so days just to help repopulate some of the healthy bacteria strains, but then, and so to take a a probiotic supplement, but then after that, just go straight to whole foods and naturally fermented foods and staying away from our, our gut disturbances, things like sugar and dairy and, and things that can actually suppress our healthy bacteria. And do you suggest eating fermented foods every day? I do. Yeah. I tell people if they can get like one in a meal. That's like you're, you're golden, but I'd say one a day is a great option to, to aim for. And it really doesn't need to be a lot. Even like one tablespoon of sauerkraut can do you wonders or in the morning having, um, like a little bit of, uh, like, like there's so many cool dairy free yogurts out there, like having like a quarter cup of that or kombucha is a fun one. I like love brewing my own kombucha or there's so many different options. So you don't, you don't need to get bored if you are having it every meal or every day. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's a, it's a great call. 
Oh yeah, I was gonna ask you about kombucha. So yeah, do you recommend kombucha? I love kombucha. Yeah, <laughs> but I've heard, like, I've heard mixed things about it. Honestly, <laughs> is it actually good for us? I feel like there's mixed reviews about everything. That I just wanted to hear your perspective. Yeah, totally. Um, I'd say kombucha is great in moderation. Um, so for those of you who don't know, kombucha is fermented tea, and it's fermented with something called a SCOBY, which stands for symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. Um, and so if you can get a SCOBY, which like I I have one and, and I got it from a fermented foods workshop I went to, but if you know someone who brews their own kombucha, you could ask them to give you like a little bit of their SCOBY and you can actually start brewing it yourself just with, um, usually it's black tea and sugar. And I think what's the controversial part is because it is brewed with sugar. However, the common thought is that the SCOBY feed like feeds off of the sugar so it eats up all the sugar to then go on to create the the healthy bacteria um however that being said it it still is caffeinated tea that that even though the sugar is eaten up like I think you know it does contain still a little bit of sugar but personally I think it's such a great treat and like I definitely notice myself it's easy to get addicted to and then it's like oh I'll have like one big bottle a day and stuff so I I try to keep it in moderation but I think it's awesome and it's also such a great alternative to pop or juice or so many other you know kind of stimulant things that people are drinking so I'd say like there's so much guilt around the health food world you know and we're always like over debating everything and I think if if kombucha tastes good for you and and you're eating it you know within a healthy or drinking it within a healthy moderation I think it's an awesome option so that's just my take on it though I know some people would dispute me yeah no I know what you mean there's like way too much um debate (laughs) yeah sometimes you just need to like take a step back and focus on you know the basics keeping things um simple and yeah like having a treat every now and then absolutely Mm -hmm. so so agree with that Mm-hmm. And yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to share about your wellness journey or growing your own food or sustainable living in general? Yeah, so I'd say in terms of growing your own food, just to reiterate that like, it really doesn't need to be this huge undertaking. And I think that the hardest part is getting over that mental barrier and just knowing that you can do it. Even just like that small patio planter box is such an awesome start and like be proud of yourself for that if you get to that step. But even if, if you don't for whatever reason or you can't, going to those farmer's markets, like I think that that is such an amazing step that like we don't even realize that that's such a like kind of like anti-political act that we're actually just supporting our local farmers and we're not you know what I mean like relying so much on our global food system and I think that that's such a an awesome first step for anyone and and um yeah like we were saying before there it's like we we do sometimes make wellness seem a bit too far-fetched and there's so many rules and regulations but I'd say if you can all you know if the first thing could be to plant a small little mint plant or kale plant or whatever it looks like and then the next thing is just making going to farmers markets a regular part of your you know habit I know there in Toronto you guys have evergreen brick ricks have you ever been there oh yeah it's so it's so nice there yeah I've been there yeah yeah and it's so cool I went there in just or January and I was like blown away like all the stuff they had locally in winter like carrots and different greens and it was super super cool so I definitely recommend that for anyone in Toronto and yeah and it's cool that most communities do have some sort of farmer's market so I'd say like yeah between growing your own food and going to farmer's market those are like pretty radical steps you can take both for your health and for our planet which is super cool 
Yeah. And, and in terms of wellness too, I think just being compassionate with yourself and, and taking these small steps to really make that first move of getting more connected to your food. And I think we alluded to this so well in the podcast where it's like, you know, sometimes like we're th- we think we're eating kale and like, oh, this like healthy kale salad, it should be amazing for us. But if we don't know that it's been sprayed with tons of toxins and chemicals, like it can actually be doing more harm than good, you know, um, just breaking down our, our uh, membrane of our gut tract and, and uh, messing with all the healthy bacteria within our body and, and things like that. So I'd say, yeah, going back to the basics and just taking that simple step of trying to get more connected to your food is probably like a way more kind of beneficial first step people can take than trying to incorporate all the superfood powders and the, you know, like I'm sure we, we both <laughs> might yeah. be there or are there, you know, cause like I do get caught up in that too, but then I realize like it really can be so basic of just talking to my farmer. Yeah. Oh, I fully agree with that. Like I love all the, the superfoods and like learning about these new exotic berries and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that's actually something huge that I took from a health coaching training program that I did through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. They really just helped me realize how important it is to get back to basics. Like you said, getting connected with your food source and just like breathing fresh air, being in nature. Like these are such basic things and they're so powerful. Exactly. Yeah. And even too, like in your kitchen, like preparing your food with intention and eating with your loved ones and taking breaks between your bites. Like these are all awesome things we could do that don't cost a lot of money and and I think are so, so powerful. Mm -hmm. All these amazing, simple things. Oh, I love it so much. Yeah, Um, I'm feeling so inspired as well to grow some veggies, some herbs. I'm really excited. Um, I definitely learned a lot from talking to you. And I'm so excited about your program. Congrats once again on launching that. That's so exciting. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited and it's yeah, it's been cool. Like I I never built like an online program like this before. So it, it's it was like such a fun, fun, stressful process, but I'm so excited yeah. now to have it out. And it's um it's like a monthly membership, so it's only eleven dollars a month for people to join. Um, and then I keep adding new topics. So I'll be adding like updating topics based on the season to talk to about like what you should be doing in your garden in this month. And also like really focus on other important topics. Like we, we went over to about like gut health and blood sugar balancing and hormone balancing and, and just like really tie it all together. So I, I did just want to make it so accessible for people and really light and fun. Like they could just watch the video, take a few action steps and, and you're good to go. Oh, that's incredible. That's such a great idea, making it like a database that's updated. So it's always relevant, right, to whatever you want to grow in whichever season you're in. Um, Yeah, I'm definitely excited to check it out. I'll for sure need some of your resources as I start my gardening journey. (laughs) So I'll be sure to link that in the show notes too, as well as your social media pages and website so people can connect with you. And yeah, thank you so much. This has been such an awesome conversation. Oh, it really has. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And I really, really enjoyed talking to you. And yeah, thank you so much for for listening. Yeah, of course, my pleasure. And I'll be sure to keep you updated with how my kale's growing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, don't forget those companion plants. Get in some peppermint or something. (laughs) That should be (laughs) happening. 
totally. I'm excited for you. You have to send us picture, post some pictures. Definitely. Cool. Well, thank you so much. That was my conversation with Meg. I hope you enjoyed, and I'm sure you're feeling as inspired as I am. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I went out and purchased some kale and collard seeds, and I'm so excited to get growing my own food. I recently enrolled in Megan's program, Next Level Nourished, and I'm so excited about this because it really lays out everything you need to know about how to get your garden started. Growing my own food is something I've been wanting to do for a while. I attempted it two years ago, but got a little discouraged when that caterpillar ate all of my kale. But with Meg's gardening wisdom, I feel so empowered to try again, and I'm just so, so excited for this journey. I've left a link to the Next Level Nourish program in the show notes, and I've left a link to Meg's Instagram so that you can connect with her as well. I mentioned briefly in this episode about how much the Institute for Integrative Nutrition positively impacted my life, and if you're interested in learning more about the Health Coach Training Program, be sure to check out the free Integrative Nutrition Sample class that I've left a link to in the show notes as well. That's all for now, and as always, thank you so much for listening.